Hey, my friends. Man, it's been a crazy month, but you're in for a treat with today's episode. I know I say that all the time. I don't know. My guests just keep over delivering. What can I say? My guest today is Josh Spector, and he is the reason I really dove into newsletters as a viable form of marketing and audience building list building, all of that. Uh, And you're probably going to want to get a pen and paper or listen to this again. I also am going to recommend that you visit the show notes page on the site, simply because Josh has sent over a ton of resource links. And I'm going to reiterate them at the end of the episode as well. But if you want to check out some of the other links he mentioned in the show, I would definitely check out the show notes. All right, enjoy the show. Building an online business is more than branding, content and sales. It's what happens behind the scenes during the highs and lows that make or break your business. I'm your host, Kim Doyle, and this is The Kim Doyle Show. I'll be sharing my own journey of 10 plus years growing an online business, as well as talking to entrepreneurs who are on the ground, creating, building, and showing up every day. Remember, do business as only you can do. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of The Kim Doyle Show. Yes, of course, I am your host, Kim Doyle, and I'm super excited about today's interview because we're talking about something that a lot of you probably have, I don't know, have thought was kind of went by the wayside, and it's not. But first of all, my guest today is Josh Spector of For the Interested. So first of all, Josh, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. So I, you know, I kind of love to do this little background and how I come across people. And I remember, Josh, I found you on Medium originally, fell in love with your writing. And then I was like, oh, what's this for the interested, which you can explain to listeners in a second and subscribed and, and followed you on Medium, hopped over to your website and just have dove into your content. And then through that and through your email sequences, got into your Facebook group, uh, Newsletter Creators. So I would love for you to share a little bit of your background before we get into what you're doing today. But what brought you to where you are today in terms of your your business journey? Sure. Um, so uh, first of all, you know, it's funny, I, I'm impressed that you even remember where you found me because most, it seems like with most things on the internet, it's like I never remember how I came across anything. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of a rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, I don't know, somewhere I came across, you know, and, and it's uh, it's always interesting. But yeah, no, I, I love Medium and I've written on there for, for a few years and uh, it's actually been a great discovery tool uh, for me as well. Um, so my background is I live in Los Angeles. Uh, I have worked in a combination of marketing, content, digital, social media, uh, journalism, sort of all of the above over the course of the past 20 years, uh, mainly in the entertainment industry. Uh, years ago, I was a journalist for The Hollywood Reporter. I've worked in marketing at movie studios. Uh, I've worked in the, in the comedy space, producing stand-up comedy tours and uh, for a startup comedy website years ago. So I, I've sort of done a little bit of everything and all of it is kind of related, even though it may seem unrelated to each other. Uh, it certainly has not been a linear path. Um, but you know, most recently in terms of uh, I'm now a full-time consultant, uh, I help people basically grow their audiences and grow their businesses uh, using social media and content and newsletters. Uh, I've been, you know, I left to do this full-time about three years ago. For the six years before that, 
I ran digital media and marketing for the Academy of Motion Pictures and the Oscars. Uh, that is friggin' awesome. Go ahead. Yeah, it was uh, it was a pretty incredible experience, um, especially when I was there. I started there in uh, 2011. Uh, so obviously, what social media was in 2011 compared to what it is now is really different. Uh, and I basically built out when I started there, there was no digital media department. You know, they had Facebook accounts, Twitter and YouTube accounts, but you know, there was no, uh, you know, it was just sort of people in the PR department using it to share press releases and whatever. So it was, it was a pretty cool opportunity to kind of start from scratch with obviously the, the biggest entertainment brand in the world. Uh, and it was incredible. Um, you know, we grew from, I think they had 400,000 followers when I started there to over 12 million in like like five years. Uh, but also, you know, my, my job there involved both the Academy year round. And then of course, obviously the big thing was the Oscars. And so that involved, uh, everything from working closely with producers and talent and hosts and brands and sponsors and, all the social media platforms, which, you know, there were a lot of things that I hadn't necessarily thought of when I started there. And especially as things evolved that, you know, just little things that like, you know, the Oscars is the biggest entertainment event of the year for all of those social platforms as well. And so they were always, you know, competing and willing to, you know, it was a very unique position to be in because they all wanted to do something noteworthy and we're willing to help try to create new things and, and work very closely with us, uh, you know, was, was incredible. And then obviously in the middle of that run, we had the Ellen selfie, which is a, is a whole other thing. Wait, wait, wait. Did you say the Ellen selfie? Yeah. Okay. So when she took the selfie at the Oscars, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, we actually, you know, it's funny cause I remember at the time, like a couple of days afterwards going like, well, I'm not really looking for another job, but if I ever am, it's, it's nice to be able to say that like, we broke Twitter and had the most retweeted tweet of all, <laughs> of all time. Probably looks good on a resume. Um, but yeah, so, you know, so, but basically after, after being there for about six years, uh, I decided to go back out on my own because I had been consulting before that as well um, to go back out on my own uh, really just because, you know, I loved it there, but wanted to try some different stuff and work with different clients. I actually took the Oscars as a client. So I've continued to to basically run digital just for the show itself uh, for the past three years. So I've actually done, I think, like the last nine Oscars now, which is insane. God, it's um, so crazy. I'm, I'm just loving this. Go ahead. Yeah. But it's interesting because like, so with my consulting, I have obviously clients like the Oscars, which is a huge client. And I do work with some, you know, uh, entertainment agencies and movie studios and that stuff. But I also have a lot of clients that are individual entrepreneurs, both entertainment or not, Um, whether it's an individual comedian, whether it's a real estate agent. I've worked with a woman who was a baby sleep consultant. Uh, You know, and one of the things that I found, and this is sort of throughout my career, especially as relates to social media and this stuff, is that and you may have found this as well in sort of your own work that that really the basic principles are all the same that what works for an open mic comedian is also going to work for the Oscars it's just in a different scale and i think for me i really like working with that sort of wide array of clients you know there are there are certainly advantages to working with huge clients and then there's also advantages to working with 
solopreneurs or, you know, smaller stuff. And, and, you know, I tend to be very hands-on and that's how I, I learn a lot. You know, it's been interesting sort of working at a, at a big level where you see a lot of times people that are running digital media or social media, digital marketing, whatever at, at studios and stuff like that, they've never actually set up a Facebook ad themselves. They don't, <laughs> yeah. They're super removed they from the, the day-to-day workings of it all. Right. Which is understandable, but like, you know, it was always interesting to me because I'm very much a practitioner of this stuff and I do it for my own things as well, which we'll talk about for the interested in, in a second. Um, but, you know, I found it to be a huge competitive advantage. And, and I also, I'm just a believer in that. Like I don't, I've never, even when I've had budgets and at the Academy, like I was not, I could have hired agencies to help. I didn't, we built internally. Like I just always felt like we're going to, you know, we're closer to it and we'll be better able to do it than just sort of outsourcing it. Um, and, you know, as a consultant too, I should, I should add that, you know, I don't do, I'm much more focused on sort of high level strategy than I am day-to-day social media management. Uh, I sort of have a core belief that most people, when they hire consultants or agencies, they overpay for management and underpay for strategy. Uh, totally. Typically, yeah, typically when you hire a consultant or an agency, they'll tell you all about how they're going to post on your account so you don't have to. And they're going to post five times a week and they're going to use these hashtags and X, Y, and Z. They talk a lot less about the actual content strategy and how any of that's going to lead to any actual results. Uh, and I believe that's the part that matters. So, so typically when I work with clients, it's not a, you're going to pay me every month forever. It's, it's much more sort of project-based and I'm going to help you figure out a strategy that then either you're going to implement or they may have an assistant or, you know, they may have somebody else sort of actually implementing it if they don't have the time or want to do it themselves. Uh, but to me, you know, again, I don't think any of this stuff is hard when you have the strategy. I think coming up with the strategy is hard. Well, it is. And to your point, like I, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but a lot of what I was understanding you're saying, it's, it's where you're saying it was, it, you know, kind of parallel regardless of the industry. It's having that solid framework. And, and I go back to, I've really been digging into a lot of old copy and old fundamentals and best practices sort of with storytelling. And, and it's interesting because I have, uh, even picked up, I think Michael Haig, like Hollywood story, right? Yep. So it's like getting into that because that's the stuff that people are really interested in. And I think when you have those fundamentals down, then you're able to craft the strategy based on the client's voice and, and what they want to accomplish with it, right? As opposed to, I mean, hey, we could all just create quote images and share them all day long, right? But it's not going to do anything. Yeah. And I think also, I think I agree with everything you said. And, and also, you know, it's about at its core providing value. And I think that's where a lot of people go wrong because they're looking at these, especially sometimes small businesses and entrepreneurs and, and even big ones, like they're looking at like, how do I use this to provide value to me? And what they don't realize is that like your social strategy should be about providing value to a specific audience. And that when you crack that, it's going to unlock the value to you. So I think that's a big mistake that people, that people make. I think the other, another big mistake is they're they're so focused on getting likes or comments or shares or whatever and they lose the the sort of conversion piece and and I don't it may sometimes it means conversion to a sale but it could also mean conversion to any sort of other action that you want people to take i mean that goes back to sort of a, a core and kind of basic business of you know what are you actually trying to accomplish here um and it's interesting a lot of times when i start with uh clients or i'm talking to potential clients 
you know, that's one of the questions I'll ask them is sort of, you know, what are you, what are you trying to accomplish? And, and they'll instantly go to, oh, I want to be, I need to be better at social media or I need more fans or I need more engagement. And I'm like, no, 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 no. But like, why? Like for what purpose? And I'll actually force them to talk to me about goals that have, I was like, don't use any digital or social media terms. <laughs> what do you, like, what do you want to happen? And it's interesting because a lot of times they'll, sometimes they know very clearly, sometimes they sort of get stumped because they're just thinking that social media is about social media. Um, and I'll use an example, like with a, with a comedian, I'll ask them that and they'll say, oh, I, you know, I need more fans. And I'll sort of say like, well, what do you need more fans to do? Like, what are you trying to have happen? And they might say, oh, well, you know, my goal is really to get booked on a sitcom. I'm like, okay, well, you don't actually need 10,000 ran- 10, random fans following you is not going to get you booked on a sitcom, but 50 casting directors following <laughs> yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. Right? And so like the strategy you need is not more fans. You need these, you know, again, if your goal is to get booked on a sitcom. So like the content you're posting and everything that we're doing should be designed to get in front of those people that are actually going to get you closer to your goal of being booked on a sitcom. So that's a very different mindset than I think a lot of people have, uh, both clients and people who work in social media about it in general, where they just go, oh, I need more, more fans, more engagement, more likes. And, And most times, sometimes they do, that is what they actually need. But, but most times that's not actually what they need. They need, they need the right people. Well, and would you say that it, it seems to me that in this space, vanity metrics are starting to, uh, they've lost their luster anyways. I think people are getting it as organic reach has gone down that it, it I, I don't know. I keep saying this, that sort of the market's maturing and I think the crap is starting to sink to the bottom. And so this is not just a race to the numbers. If it doesn't convert, I mean, you may as well waste months and months posting random stuff that's not driving traffic, right? Yeah, I think they're de- I think they're definitely starting to get it, but what's interesting is I think while some people are starting to get that and go, "Oh, it's not just about how many likes I have." It's also leading some people to go, "Well, this stuff doesn't work. What's the mm-hmm. point?" Right? I can't I don't get organic reach. Why am I spending all this time doing this? So I think it's a little of both because I do think you have some people that are souring on it and sort of going like, "Well, this isn't worth the time and effort." And they don't realize that, well, maybe they're just using it wrong. (laughs) God (laughs) forbid, self-awareness and responsibility. Right. Right. It's like, you know, that it's not, you know, it's funny. You'll hear, and I did not coin this, like you'll hear other people say this as well, but like, you know, you'll talk about Facebook ads and they'll go, Facebook ads don't work. And it's like, no, Facebook ads work. Like your Facebook ads may not be working. For reasons that maybe, you know, they're, they're not set up right. You haven't cracked the code. You haven't whatever. But this sort of, you get these sort of broad brush generalizations of these things don't work. And it's just, it's just not true. You know, what's funny is we, I've got a, a content planner. We're, we're running ads for it, right? It's a brand new brand. I've got my own brand, but I'm like, we're going to do this right. It's a physical product. We've got great profit margins. And it's funny because I said to someone, I'm like, oh, have you thought about doing ads? They're like, oh, they're not working anymore. Just like you said, I'm like, we're actually getting like a 700% return right now. Like it's, and it's, don't get me wrong. We don't have a huge, we're we're 10 bucks a day, but we're testing, tweaking and we're getting it going. I'm like, Mm -hmm. it it really works if you work it correctly and you're willing to, I mean, all of this, wouldn't you say to a certain degree is testing you, whether it's publishing or paid traffic or engagement, you have to test and find what works. 
Yeah. And it's, and it's also all iteration, right? And mm-hmm. I think that's the other thing that's interesting too, is that even when it quote unquote works, doesn't mean it can't get better. Right. 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 You know, it's like, I think that's the thing that there's, I think a lot of people approach it as there's this, this sort of finite game, right? Where it's like, I try it, it works or it didn't work. Same, by the way, the same thing with blog posts or videos or any piece of content, right? They create the thing, they put it out, they share it once. Oh, it didn't really, it didn't quote unquote go viral. So I guess, I guess it's a failure onto the next one. And, and, you know, that's another big thing for me is I think very few people uh, get anywhere near the amount of value they should get from the content they create. Uh, I think most content is under leveraged for all sorts of reasons. Um, but yeah. I th- Can you explain I th- that a little bit more? Yeah. So I think that, you know, on its, and this can play out in sort of a lot of different ways. I actually wrote a post and I don't have it in front of me, but I'm sure you can, I'll send you a link and you can put it in the show notes about how to maximize the value of your post. But like, let's take a blog post, for example. I think what a lot of people will do is they will write a post, they'll post it, they'll share it on social media once or twice, and they're done with it. Um, what they don't realize is that same post, number one, it can be reshared and resurfaced, assuming it's not super topical. If it's about the news of the day, that doesn't really work. But I'm also a big believer in general and sort of evergreen content for mm-hmm. this very reason. Um, so on its most base level, obviously you can reshare it lots of different times in lots of different places, but separate from that, every post can be pulled apart. So a single blog post could be turned into 10 different standalone tweets Oh yeah, or, yeah. So- so, or social posts or quote images or, or whatever. It can be used to answer, uh, you know, I do this all the time. Like a lot of times blog posts I write will be inspired by questions people have asked me. And if I get asked that question by one person, most likely there's more people that want to know it. So it's a good chance that that blog post will work. But also once I have that blog post, I can then use it to answer future questions to people. You know, like everything I was saying to you, I wrote a post years ago called, uh, read this before you hire a social media expert. And basically 90% of the post is saying like, this is why you should not hire a social media consultant. It's a waste of money, uh, which is very counterintuitive since <laughs> basically saying this is what I do and you should not hire one of me. Um, but in that post, I shared a lot of sort of what I was saying to you in the beginning about you know my sort of philosophy is like, you're going to overpay for management and underpay for strategy and sort of this is why you know, you're probably worried about the wrong metrics and sort of all of that stuff. So that post, which I wrote once years ago, uh, continues to not only get traction, but actually drive business and clients to me because people are finding it. And it, what's interesting is a lot of them are people who have previously hired someone and had a bad experience mm-hmm. and it completely resonates with them. Um, and at the very end of the post, I sort of, you know, I'm sort of saying, this is what most people do. I don't agree with really any of it. I sort of approach it in this different way. If you want to talk about it, let me know. And people do, and it, and it resonates with them. But so, but so that the time I spent creating that post is not only gotten traction for years and sent me business and clients and whatever, it's an asset that I can send to people. You know, I can on this podcast mention a couple lines about, you know, what I believe and then go, Hey, you know what? They can check out this post. Right. So that's another form of value. It's a, is a shorthand for sort of getting more stuff out there. 
Yeah. It, you know, it's interesting with the repurposing piece is, I, I don't know if you've seen it, and I've mentioned this before, where a lot of people are doing these, oh, come and record 50 videos, and then we'll, you've got your content for the year. And there's there's sort of this twofold. Like, I believe in batch, if you can batch process something, that that's great. But for the most part, it to me, that's much more self-serving than serving your audience, right? And solving a problem. And, and I'm not saying you can't do both necessarily. Uh, I just know that probably what I would want to create today is going to look very different than what I'm going to want to create in October so that it serves my audience. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I think I think there's truth to that. Obviously, it depends on sort of what the what the content is and what the you know if, you, if you're writing a post about here's what you should do on Facebook today. The chances are that you know in October, what, the way Facebook changes so fast that it may not be as relevant. Mm-hmm. Um, but so I think some of it depends on the uh, on the content itself. The other thing that I think people forget about is you know, audiences are fluid, right? So I, I take my newsletter, for example, um, you know, my subscribers now, yeah, a lot of them hopefully are still going to be there a year from now, or let's even say three months from now, a lot of them are still going to be there, but I'm also going to have a lot of new people. You know, I have people. So if you, whatever your content sort of system is, if you're, if your audience is growing, regularly, you know, which ideally it is, there's always new people coming in. So the people that come in now, so when you talk about sort of serving your audience, which I'm completely, I'm audience first with everything. I'm all about serving my audience. Mm -hmm. So when, you know, but when, but I have new people coming in. So the new people that came in, come in today, they have no idea. I've published a hundred, I think this week was a hundred my 157th issue of the newsletter. So it's weekly. So I've been doing it, you know, for 157 weeks, basically, I've been publishing it. Each week, I share 10 ideas in the newsletter. So you're talking about over 15, that's over 1500 ideas that a person who comes into my audience today has never seen. There's a lot of value there. Tons. Yeah. And, and, And on top of that, my existing audience so, so I regularly in the newsletter, like I include related links and I do that specifically as a way to drive back into my archives. So actually when I share, and now I share, you know, five ideas a week basically, but with a related one to each. So there's, you know, there's sort of 10, but so it's a way for me to sort of leverage that archives and resurface it. And what happens is number one, a lot of my audience, even if they've been with me for a while, they probably missed some of those ideas the first time around. Uh, Even if they saw them, it may not have been relevant to them. You know, if it's something about starting a business, well, maybe they weren't starting a business six months ago and they are today, right? Mm -hmm. So they didn't click it then, but they might click it now. Um, And even if they read it, a lot of times it's like either they forgot they read it because we, like we said in the beginning, like we all consume so much stuff. It's like nobody remembers what what they've seen (laughs) or where they saw it anyway. So the the reminder can sort of be helpful to them, uh, or again, you may reread want to reread stuff. You know, there was somebody, and I can't remember who it was, but I read a post somewhere that I thought was a really good analogy for this, and they they talked about uh, they talked about bands and music and concerts, or for that matter, even TV shows and movies, and this idea that people want to rewatch that when you go to a concert, you want to hear them play the greatest hits, even if you've heard it a million times. Totally. Right. And I think if you think about your content in that way, like a really, your audience is, is not 
Now, again, if you're posting, if you're sharing the same thing every single day, like that's overdoing it. But if you're regularly creating content and sort of have an audience that's regularly growing, I think, you know, I, I've never gotten pushback of why are you sharing this thing for the 8 millionth time? They'll just ignore it if they've already read it or don't care. Right? Yeah. You know what? I think it, I've been doing this about 11 years. Not once has somebody ever said, why are you sharing this again? Yeah. And it seems obvious and I, you know, I'm sure you do as well, but I'm amazed when I talk to people at how rarely they reshare, repurpose stuff, you know, it's just, it's just dead. And also for that matter, I would even add to that sort of, you know, remixing it again, like me putting those related links in the newsletter is a way of leveraging this archive and library that I have. You know, I specifically was like, I want to figure out a way to drive people to this stuff beyond just going, Hey, there's a lot of stuff on the site. If you missed it, go check it out. Right. right? right. <laughs> so, so I think that, you know, having intention with the way you, the way you do that, I think can really be helpful. Um, there's so much goodness in that. I do want to, I'm like, I feel like I could talk to you for like two hours already, but with, so let's, let's kind of pivot a little bit to newsletters because, um, and I know you saw the article I wrote, which you got me all excited about newsletters again, because, yeah. because we're not talking about the, the e-zines as they were called and sort of the old school internet marketers that basically talked about themselves and said, here's how you can work with me. And here's what my clients think of me. And here's how you can work with me. So uh, first of all, when did you decide to launch your newsletter and, and sort of go all in with that? So I have all, I have for years. So, so again, I've been just for context, I've been blogging and doing stuff in one form or another since like 2001. Mm -hmm. So I've had, unfortunately, part of me wishes I would have always sort of stuck with one thing. It was very start and stop. So I have a million different abandoned blogs. (laughs) I think everybody does. Yeah. Yeah. It was certainly not, uh, certainly not focused, but by the late, 2000s, I probably like 2000, you know, and so whatever I was doing, I was, I was a big believer in blogging and then also newsletters slash email marketing, like early on. So anytime I had a blog, I was also trying to, you know, at a very minimum would have an email sign up. Like I always sort of saw that as potentially important. Um, increasingly so obviously as, uh, social media algorithms and organic reach drops and, and all of that. You know, one of the things I would always say is when people would say, oh, well, isn't email dead? You know, just I, I don't care about an email list. Like I want, you know, Twitter followers or Facebook fans or whatever. And, you know, I, one of the things I would always say is I would be like, well, you know, if email's dead, why do the social platforms all want to email you constantly about stuff that's happening? <laughs> Like even Twitter and Facebook know the best way to reach you is not through their own platforms, but through email. Absolutely. (laughs) Right. So, and that was even before organic, you know, organic reach dropped. Like now it's even more the case, Mm -hmm. but you know, so I, so I had, so I had all these things that I was starting and I'd have all these different lists and, and basically around 2000, well, this was probably about three years ago. I, before I start, right before I started for the interested, I got to this point where I had sort of three active things that I was running. So one was 
this site connectedcomedy.com, which was which was also sort of a previous consulting company from before I had gone to the academy. And and that was all basically uh, marketing advice for comedians about how they could use social media to to grow their audiences. And I had built a great following for it and a night, you know, a couple thousand people on a on a mailing list. Um, and then I had a site, a blog that I ran for about a year and a half or two years called The Person You Should Know. Uh, it was a person you should know.com. And all I did was every day I profiled a different person and sort of did a short summary and shared various things that they had created. Um, creator, it was creators, entrepreneurs, that marketers, that kind of thing. And that had built its own sort of separate, really good following. And then I had, uh, at joshspector.com, I was just blogging and on medium, I was blogging with my own stuff. And so I had built an email list for that. So I had these three lists. But what I quickly realized was I couldn't use any of them to promote. I would write a blog post and I couldn't send it to the person you should know list because that was all about profiling other people. If it wasn't about comedy, I couldn't share it with the comedians list because it didn't fit and vice versa. So it was really, and plus I was, you know, managing basically like three mailing lists. It just, I just got to the point where I was like, this is not a smart way to do this and, and I should simplify and what do I do? So I came up with this idea uh, for a sort of flexible, I wanted a flexible format that I could fit all my sort of different stuff into. Uh, and I came up with this idea that originally, before I even called it for the interested, it was just like 10 ideas worth sharing. And, and it was basically going to be you know, these sort of curated summaries and links to interesting articles that were generally about social media, creativity, writing, entrepreneurship, sort of a hodgepodge of this stuff. Uh, and that if I had it, then I would be able to, whatever I did, I could feature in here alongside the other stuff that I was curating. So that's where For the Interested started. I actually folded all three of those pre-existing lists. Uh, so at that point, I think it was seven or 8,000 people combined. I folded that into this uh for the, this new for the interested thing, knowing that some of those people would bail because it wasn't specific to them. I didn't, by the way, I did tell everybody. I didn't like pretend, <laughs> that, you know, which I know some people yeah. would do. But I said, hey, here, here's what I'm doing. You know, the emails you're going to get are going to be different. If you want them, I think you'll dig them and stick around. And if not, adios. Uh, you know, and probably, I don't know, maybe half of those people bailed, maybe a little less, but, you know, a few thousand stayed. And, that was three years ago, and and you know now it's up to twenty five thousand uh, people, and it's been a really great, you know, the format's been while it's simple, it's been it's been really good. And advice I sort of give to people about newsletters is to uh, I always say pick a pick a strict but flexible format. So for mine, my newsletter is strict in that it is the exact same every time. I'm not reinventing the wheel. I'm not going, what am I going to write about this week? I think that's all asking for trouble. Mm -hmm. Like I know that each week I got to come up with links to 10 things that I find interesting, that those things are going to be on, you know, it's not going to be whatever Trump did today. (laughs) Like I know it's not about news. It's about, you know, it's all kind of evergreen and it's on a sort of certain set of uh, of topics and geared toward a certain audience. Um, I know that I write at least one blog post a week. So I know that usually the first post is, is a blog post that I've written. 
and I know that, you know, each of them is formatted with basically a headline, a little quote from the piece, and then a couple sentence summary that I write. And so I know exactly what I'm doing, but within that, that's the strict part. Within that, I have tons of flexibility because, which allows me to not feel pinned in. So I have a flexibility that if, okay, if, if my sort of interests shift and six months from now, I'm a little more interested in entrepreneurship than I am social media, like I'm not going to need to scrap the whole thing. I can just sort of shift a little bit the ideas that are, that are in it. Um, and I found that to work really well. And again, it doesn't have to be that format for everybody, but, but I do think, I do think that it's much easier if people come up with a sort of, and I don't mean a design template, although it can be, but, but a, a, te- a content template for these are the elements of my newsletter every week. And then within that, you have flexibility within the elements. So you don't sort of pin yourself in. Like I don't do, I try to have an eclectic mix, but I don't go, oh, there has to be the second item is always marketing and the third item is always business. Like I don't get that granular. It's uh, just a framework, yeah. right? <clears throat> yeah, Exactly. Okay. With so can I ask you then with so with newsletters because the one thing that I think a lot of people hear is, you know, in the digital marketing space it's like, oh, build your list, we all need lists. I I most people I know still believe in that. And mm-hmm. you know, we ha- we have these lead magnets and we do all this. But now I see this just sign up for my newsletter because you're going to get exclusive content even if it, the content is then later published on the site, which I think you do as well, right? So, how does that convert in in terms of you know, it just, to me, it seems like a, um, and bear with me here. I don't want to say elite, but it's like, this is for the smart, like highly interested tribe, no pun intended. Yeah. So I think that, I think that there's two, you know, it's interesting. We probably should kind of define the term a little bit because I think you hear newsletter and it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. So to me, I consider newsletter and email marketing as two different things. While a newsletter can be a great email marketing tool, I don't, I'm not view, and it can be designed to sort of do that. Like when I talk about newsletter, I don't mean just get people on your mailing list and then you email them, you know, once every three months when you have a product you're trying to sell. And I'm not knocking that. That's fine. But I, to me, there's a, that's a whole other sort of, that's a whole different thing. Like to me, that's email marketing. That's different than newsletter. Right. So I think that's the first thing. So when I talk about newsletter, I mean a content, what I consider to be a content driven as opposed to a sales driven newsletter. That doesn't mean that it will not help you get sales because it definitely mm-hmm. will. And you can str- if your goal is sales, then your newsletter should actually be structured to help do that. And we can talk about that. But if there's a big difference between the purpose of this email is to get you to buy something versus the purpose of this email is to deliver content, which may ultimately help you buy something. You know, it's it's content marketing versus direct marketing, basically. Um, so I think that's... So when I talk about newsletters, I talk about that. And, and for the interested, I do not... Uh, it's not designed for me really to directly promote my mm-hmm. services. Uh, I don't... I very rarely even talk about what I do in it. I don't have a promo in it saying hire me or any of that. Um, that said, I do believe that building an audience and a con- having people connect to you by its very nature is an asset. 
that ultimately leads to and creates opportunities of all sorts. So while I'm not directly using it to promote and sell my services, by default, it winds up doing that. Um, and one, and what I have done, I have done a couple of things to sort of make it slightly more direct. So the one thing that I do that I added maybe a year or so ago, which actually has been really good, is uh, I set up an autoresponder that goes to people basically a month after they've subscribed. So they've subscribed to this newsletter, they've stuck around, they've gotten four issues of it probably, and then they will get an autoresponder. And I think the subject line is actually, and I I highly recommend this subject line, by the way, (laughs) very proud of it. The subject line is the thing I don't talk about in the newsletter. And it that is a direct, hey, you've been reading the newsletter, you stuck around, thanks, I'm glad you like it. You probably don't realize this because I don't talk about it much in the newsletter, but I also do consulting and help people grow audiences and businesses, blah, 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 blah. Here's a couple examples of clients I've worked with. Here you can go to my website to sort of learn more. Uh, if you ever want to talk about it, let me know. And that has actually, uh, that's as close as I get to using the newsletter for sort of a direct sales pitch. Um, that said, if, you know, I have, so I'm, I'm working on a, uh, a course to help people grow their newsletters. I will, when that goes up, I will definitely mention it in the newsletter. I'd be, I'm not saying I, w- I won't ever use it to promote anything like that would be foolish. Um, I will, you know, again, that's part of the value of having an audience, but it's not, uh, the purpose of the newsletter is certainly not sales. Although I do recommend, like I said, the, that, that has worked really well, that sort of autoresponder to people that at that point have already sort of bought in that this is a newsletter and I've built some, uh, you know, some, some trust and probably earned, uh, earned some of their respect and, and interest at that point. And so, and it was a way I added it because I realized, well, it is kind of foolish. Like I, you know, even if I'm not selling all the time, I, I do at least want these people to know what I do in case they're looking for help with that. So that's why I added that. And it's worked well, out. I would think too, that people that I, I'm, <laughs> it's funny you say that. Cause I, I opted in a long time ago and I'm sure I obviously got that email, but I, I do like your, your newsletter is one of those things that like, oh, I can sit down on Saturday morning with coffee and just get lost for like two hours with the links and I click through and I read and whatnot. Um, you know, so there is that piece. And what I was hearing a little bit is it kind of reminds me of podcasting because podcasting, I mean, you can definitely make an, an offer, but for me, it was more of a, I wanted to have fun, but it was, it's a great relationship builder and it's, it's intimate in the sense. So I would think the newsletter too, that the caliber, which is another question I was going to have is the quality of subscribers you end up with on a newsletter that stick around are much more likely to buy from you. I would think you've provided so much value that when you do make an offer, they're probably waiting for you to make an offer. Yeah. And they, you know, what's interesting, and this is one of the other pieces of advice that I give to people is, and it's funny that you, and well, thank you, first of all, for saying that, but like, I feel like my readers really, and again, just like with the podcast, I'm sure you found this, like they really feel mm-hmm. like they know me. Um, and I think what's interesting is you're really able to, and I feel like they know me too, because the things that I choose to, even even with curated stuff, forget my own blog posts, but the things that you curate and that you choose to share with people, just like for you, the guests that you choose to have on your show, it goes a long way to framing people's understanding of who you are and what you're about and, and all of that, you know, I don't share 
scammy marketing tactics, right? Like it's not about, oh, here's this growth hack, you know? So it says something, it sends a clear message. Now I could, and there's an audience that certainly wants that stuff. Um, But the other thing that I think is interesting that when you use content is it really allows you to attract the audience that you Mm -hmm. want. Whereas I was just sort of saying, hey, I help people with social media. And if you want help with social media, come check me out. You're going to get all sorts of people, right? That you're going to want people that you get people that want the scammy hacks. You're going to get people that are into whatever, like the, the, there's an element of sort of content as audience filter that I know anybody who subscribes and likes my newsletter is going to be a certain kind of person and they're going to see the world the way I do. And I think that's really interesting when you start to think about what that means in terms of clients and choosing who Mm -hmm. you work with. Like I always know when someone approaches me, who's not one of my newsletter subscribers, I have to feel out a little more. Are we a good fit? If someone's one of my newsletter subscribers, I almost know automatically like, okay, well, we're going to see the world the same way. Um, And so I think that's another sort of fringe benefit of it is it's, it's kind of an indirect way of vetting. Yeah, it's a total clients. pre-qualifier. And, and I, I think anybody that's going to dive into content that needs to be consumed for more than 30 seconds, <laughs> you know, they're, they've got a little bit more vested interest in coming into your space. Um, so, you know, in terms of marketing your newsletter, what are you doing to grow that? I mean, that's, you've got a big list. Obviously, you publish a lot of content. And I know that, you know, social media and whatnot. But for somebody listening you know, who's thinking, I like this idea, I want to do a newsletter. And how do how do I market it? I mean, just the same way you would do a lead magnet? How do you approach that? So, so I think, well, let me, I'm going to get into that. Let me touch on lead magnets really quickly, because I know that's a thing that comes up all the time. Uh, in general, so lead magnets can work and good lead magnet, good lead magnets work. I'm in general, not a big fan of lead magnets for newsletters. Email marketing, I think they make mm-hmm. more sense, again, based on my own definitions. But for newsletters, I think when people subscribe to get a lead, mag- lead magnet, they want the they want the lead magnet. That doesn't necessarily mean they want the newsletter. So they may enjoy the newsletter. They may stick around. But to me, I want people that want the newsletter. Uh, again, going back to that this is about content, not necessarily about sales. So I, I won't go so far as to say, look, you probably will get more subscribers if you offer a good relevant lead, lead magnet than if you don't. Um, but personally, I think you'll get a higher quality subscriber if they're saying, I'm giving you my email address because I want your newsletter, not because I want your you know free 10-step guide to do whatever. Um, what I would much rather do in terms of using a lead magnet as relates to a new, growing a newsletter is I would not uh, I would not hold it back and demand an email for it. I would publish the lead magnet as regular free content to attract people, and then plug the newsletter. Oh, with there it. you go. Uh, I think that is if you have a great lead magnet, then again, I I, I think you can use it and and within that uh, within that post or within that thing say. Hey, if you're interested in more about this, I, I talk about it every week in my newsletter. Um, so marketing. So I have uh, grown my audience in a few different ways. So number one is I definitely think 
uh, writing original blog posts, media, posting them on Medium has helped me reach an audience that I might not otherwise reach. Uh, original content certainly helps. Um, if you're just curating, a little trickier, although it can, it certainly can still work. But original blog posts have definitely uh, brought in a lot of people for me. Uh, I've run a lot of Facebook ads uh, over the years uh, and had a lot of success with them. I've experimented with them, you know, going back to what we were saying before, they don't all work. I've I've tried and iterated with a million different things, but I have managed to figure some out that worked really well. Uh, Again, results will vary wildly based on what you're doing and what you're targeting. But, you know, I would say I've gotten and also what's going on with just in general Facebook and, and how much competition there is and all of that. Uh, I would say I've gotten as subscribers for as low as 50 cents a subscriber. Um, but I would say consistently could probably get them around a dollar a subscriber. Um, so now again, and that's getting qualified people who, for you know, they don't all stick around, but most of them stick around. Uh, Facebook ads definitely I found very effective. I've experimented with tw- Twitter ads and some of the other stuff. I've just found them to be way more expensive than Facebook in general. Uh, One note I would have about if you're going to do Facebook ads for a newsletter, I think what I have found works best is actually promoting a piece of content that plugs the newsletter within it, as opposed to running ads that just plug the newsletter. Uh, If you run an ad and, and, you know, say, oh, subscribe, if I were to run an ad and say, subscribe to the For the Interested newsletter, I don't care what my targeting is. If people don't know what that is, they're not subscribing. And can I just jump Um, in? Because I've talked to a handful of real content marketing people. And the same thing is that I think it's cheaper, right, to run an ad to content because Facebook's seeing it and saying you're providing value. Now, you know, for our planner, it's crazy. I mean, it's not a high ticket item. We're literally just going to a long content filled sales page, but it's not a high price point. But I think for lead gen I agree with you. It's drive the traffic to a really good piece of content. And then the newsletters is embedded in there, right? To opt in. Yeah. And I think the other thing about, there's a couple other benefits of content as well. So the first one is not only is the ad going to perform better, but when you put, when you uh, drive people to content, you're going to get all sorts of organic Mm -hmm. sharing. If the content is good, that you will not get with a straight newsletter ad. So that makes a huge difference because you're not paying for any of that, right? So even if I had an ad that was going just promoting the newsletter, let's say I just drove to the sign up page, and even if it worked well, right? Let's say I was converting people for whatever, 50 cents per person. It's like, oh, this is great, but there's not going to be any organic sharing of that, right? So if I'm running to a piece of content where let's say I'm also getting people for 50 cents a person... But one out of three people who hit it then share it, I'm going to get 33% more subscribers for the exact same And money. organic traffic, because which Google's going to go, hey, this is pretty cool. Yep. People like this content. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I think that is, uh, that's a big part of it. The other thing about content, and just so you know, so the, the ad that has worked the best for me over the years uh, it's not even about that I will just promote the newsletter itself. I will promote literally like an individual blog post. So I had written a post. It was really short. It was, it's actually, I think it might even be like the top post in the writing tag on medium at this point. Like it's done, which is so weird. Cause I think it's like a, 
it's sort of like a throwaway post. It's really short, but people seem to love it. Uh, it's called like the two minutes it takes to read this will improve your writing forever. And it's literally like five or six, just simple, like delete the word that from all <laughs> or of just, sentences. that's one. I and they'll delete. Be <laughs> right. I mean, it's very actionable and useful. So I, I, I understand why people like it and it's very quick and short and whatever, but no, and no way did I expect that post to do what it's done. But so the, the ad that's worked best for me was an ad promoting that post, which is actionable, useful, whatever, short. Uh, that's the other thing. So when you, when you plug a newsletter in it, like in a blog post, like if you have a post that's a 10 minute read and you just bury your plug for the newsletter at the bottom of it, like it's probably not going to convert that well. Uh, so I would recommend using a short content post or if it's longer, incorporating the plug into the first mm-hmm. couple paragraphs. Um, that can, that can work well as well. Uh, but also what happens is when you promote a piece of content, you're able to really, uh, really get specific with the targeting. Whereas if I'm just promoting the general newsletter, it's like, I don't know, do I target entrepreneur? I mean, you've read my newsletter, like there's yeah, a million yeah, different types of people that it, could, that it could appeal to. But with a post about writing, I was able to target bloggers and writers and get really specific. Um, and I would do sometimes all, you know, I would do alternate versions. Uh, for example, if I was, let's say I had a post about social media tips, uh, I would promote, and maybe it was sort of a general social media tips post, but I would promote it to comedians literally in the ad would be like, Hey, comedians, here's some tips on how to use social media to grow your fan base. And then I'd promote a separate one to filmmakers saying, hey, filmmakers, here's some tips on how to use social media. So while it was a general post, the ads would get very specific super smart. and mm-hmm. match the targeting and actually reference them in the ads. So like, and again, I have no idea what, I mean, I know about your content planner. I have no idea what you're doing with your ads for your content planner. But my, you know, my, my, here's my free recommendation would be uh, experiment with targeting specific people that you can mention in the ad itself for the content planner. So if you're, maybe you're targeting moms who are bloggers, making this up, but that ad would go, hey, mom bloggers, need a content planner to help you, blah, 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 right? And then you're targeting, I don't know, marketers, or let's say community managers, hey, community managers. And it's, I know it seems so basic and simple, but I, and I found, by the way, this isn't just with newsletters. I found across the board that when you get specific, so I have some comedians that are clients that I've, you know, I've run ads to help them promote shows in cities where they're not household names, nobody knows them, whatever. So, you know, I had a comic that he had a really good joke about being a new parent. So we would take that video and we would target new parents and the ad would literally say like, Hey, new parents, blah, 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 blah. Um, he had a joke about being, about being in the military. We would target people in the military. Hey, veterans. It or, seems you know, so whatever. obvious as you're explaining uh, all this. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, you know, and again, it won't always work, but it, it will definitely, it, it definitely, in my experience, it has almost always worked better as long as you can be specific and match. By the way, that also, uh, you can't always necessarily do this with the post, but it also extends to the image that you show. So for example, uh, I had somebody who was, 
Oh, this was a good one. So I had somebody who was wanting to promote a mastermind and it was a local mastermind. And, and he sent me, uh, he sent me an image to use that was of him and the other guy for their, for their mastermind. And the mastermind, the location was at like a local like shopping center or, you know, office complex that sort of everybody knew. And I said, no, we shouldn't use this photo of you. We should use a photo of the office complex that everybody knows because we're targeting people in your local area and they're going to stop. It's, they see that image. They assume it's relevant to them. They see an image of you two guys. They don't know who you are. Right. And it's the exact, it's the exact same thing. So using those images now, again, with a content planner, it's a product. So you probably want to show the product, but, but you can see how, you know, if I was promoting my newsletter to whatever, to designers, I'd want language in an image that's specifically talking to designers. Yeah. I mean, and it, it sounds so obvious because obviously then, you know, the, the targeting, I mean, it's just that match right there. And even if we took our ad and just duplicated it with a little change in language for the headline, that that's it. We can take yep. the same ad, but we're talking to them and then we're targeting them. <laughs> yeah, oh my gosh. exactly. And what's funny is what I would do when I was doing something with the, with the social media tips is I would run it's funny. So what I did was I took this basic ad that again was like I was saying, like, hey, comedians want to learn how to grow your audience, social media tips, whatever, sign up here. And then the photo would be of a comedian or of somebody on stage. I actually set up, uh, and this goes into the sort of iterative iterative process. I think I set up three different ones. So I would do comedians, then I do a filmmaker one, then I would do like a yoga teacher one. And I would just drop whichever one was performing least and then try a new one. And I'd be like, okay, now I'll try whatever it was, uh, personal trainers. And now I'll try. And so I was just constantly running the three different hyper-targeted ones and experimenting with different, you know, specific niches referenced in the ads to see what would, uh, and just kind of iterating to try to keep getting, again, that's where we go back to it's an infinite game. Like there is no end end point. Like you're always sort of wondering like, oh, maybe there's, maybe there's another niche that could be better. Well, there's some, um, with, when it comes to ads, I mean, there you can go a hundred ways sideways. Yeah. It's like, and then you don't want to touch the ad that's working. So you want to make another one and test it. And, and yeah, yeah, we're, we're, we're doing the yeah. same thing. And I'm like, God, maybe because we have a digital version, but we don't offer it till the exit. I'm like, maybe, and it sells so much. I'm like, maybe we should just run an ad for that. And it's like, or do we add it to the sales page? That's like two or three more ads just with that one little change. Yeah. I think the big thing is the the mindset. Once you put yourself in the mindset that your ad's talking to one specific person, and you know, we do that in terms of we think about that in terms of the targeting, but I think a lot of times people overlook mm-hmm. it in terms of the ad. That if you go, I if I know exactly who I'm talking to then I can reference that in the ad and they're going to, it's going to feel, of course it's oh, absolutely. Connect. I mean, it's not this generic, okay, I'm hitting all social media. Like you're saying, you know? Um, yeah. It doesn't mean they're going to buy, but, but it will, ab- but it will certainly it- help because what's interesting about it is in their mind, like, so just using that example, like for, for your planner, when, when, the person who's a mom blogger and just sees the ad of like, Oh, check out this content planner in their own mind. They may make up stories or assume it's not really for them. You know, they may go, oh, I'm yeah. not a pro or, you know, whatever stories they're telling themselves. 
But when you go, hey, you know, hey, mom blogger, and you're speaking exactly to their stuff, they just assume like, oh, this is this is for me. Like it removes the the sort of wiggle room for them. You're and this sounds devious, but basically like you're controlling their narrative as opposed to allowing them to control it. And what's interesting is in their mind, and this is especially true if they're not your existing current audience who already knows a lot about you and the, what the content planner and what you're doing. If it's somebody who's sort of cold in their mind, they, oh my God, there's a content planner for mom blog. Absolutely. You know, what's funny is I'm literally reading this book, Josh, called Hack the Buyer Brain, where she was talking about the two parts of the brain where we've got one on auto- autopilot and one that T- will take over and do the focus piece. But it's sort of that hearing your name or hearing something that relates to you, that's the autopilot. And so all of a sudden, there's like this automatic trust piece that's happening <laughs> just by seeing that. Um, yeah, God, Josh, I, I could talk to you all day. I wanted to ask you one other question because I think people's asked this uh, yeah. in the Facebook group. Oh, and by the way, your Facebook group is newsletter creators. Yes. Okay, I want to make sure I'm like, please tell me to yes. not watch that. I will link to that in the show notes. Um, and then but a lot of people are asking like, oh, well, what are you using for a newsletter? Aren't you just using your email service provider? And then you share, do you, do you post all of the newsletters on your site after it's been published? Yeah, so I do. I use Aweber as my uh, mailing list provider. Um, obviously, there's a million different ones there. I've used Aweber for years. I've never had a problem. Um, I have used in work with clients and stuff. I've used MailChimp. Uh, I don't Ditto. love MailChimp. Personally, it's fine, I guess. Um, I don't, yeah, I'm not a a huge fan of it. But ultimately, I think people can get bogged down in the tools. Any of them are really fine. Uh, So what I do is I, and I actually have a post about this you can link called How I Write My Newsletter. Um, But I, what I do is I write the newsletter, I send it through Aweber. I also post the full newsletter on uh, Medium. And I post the full newsletter on fortheinterested.com. And the other thing that I do, and again, this is this also goes into sort of the what I view as a sort of added benefit of the format I've chosen for the newsletter. So in addition to post, this might be terrible for SEO, but I'm not a big SEO guy, so whatever. Uh, I, I besides posting the full newsletter on my website, I post each of the individual ideas. So each of those ten ideas as individual posts on the website. And the reason that I do that is it makes for a much better search. The site basically exists to be a searchable archive. I don't really care about traffic, although it does get traffic and, and you know, that's great. But really its purpose is, okay, wow, so now there's 1,500 ideas on there. And if you go into the search and type in social media, uh, you're going to get all this stuff. And by doing them individually, you're going to your top results are going to be the the individual ideas that are about social media, which is way more valuable than if I just had the full newsletters on there, you would just get, you'd have to really sort of hunt and search for where is it? Um, So that's why I like sort of posting each individual. Do you expand on each individual Um, piece on for the individual ones? Do you go a little deeper? No, no, not really. I, at this point I really just sort of, it's really just a copy and paste. Uh, well, even for the thing, go ahead, um, which by the way, I was just gonna say the other thing I would say going back into the sort of repurposing of content, I'm also a proponent of a modular format for newsletters. Um, because the other thing it lets you do is 
you can, depending, and I've done this with some clients, it all sort of depends on, on, you know, your time and effort and goals and all of that. But the newsletter can actually become the engine of your entire social media content strategy. So I don't do this personally, although I've done it for some clients. And if I wanted to, my newsletter could be the newsletter and I could pull apart each of those 10 things and each of those could become individual. That could give me 10 uh, social media posts a week just by cutting and pasting them as standalone. Well, yeah. And that's, well, and if you look at it this way, sorry, I'm jumping in, but you take those, you take that. It's like, okay, 10 social media posts, but even then Pinterest, which is a search engine, you could make three images, put them on different boards and all the, I mean, it can get really like monster web out there. (laughs) Yeah. But I think what's, yeah. What's interesting process wise though, is I think a lot of times what most people seem to do is think of their newsletter as sort of the end piece. Like I, I write my content, I put it on wherever I'm going to put it on, and then I share it in the newsletter. And what I think, especially for people that are maybe starting out or this, like they don't like social media is not necessarily a huge priority and they're trying to figure it out, that I actually think it can be really helpful for them to figure out the newsletter first. And you go, hey, you know, like I've had clients where I would say, okay, look, here's, you know, part of what we wind up doing is, you know, we figure out a format for their newsletter. So let's say maybe it's like a mini version of what mine is, right? So they're like, you're, you're going to have, you're going to each month, you know, each week or whatever, you're going to write a two paragraph thing that answers a question your clients always have. And then you're going to share four links to different curated stuff on this topic, right? And now you're going to take each of those you're going to send the newsletter and then you're going to take each of those five things and post them as, you know, once a day or five days worth of social media posts and you're done. But I think what's helpful for some people I found is it's sort of easier for them to wrap their head around like, oh, I just have to fill in the blanks in this And then I can pull from that. Yeah. Versus, right. Versus what's my social strategy? You know, what's my whatever? And for that matter, they can just give it to an assistant or an intern or somebody and say, hey, take my newsletter each week and put it on my social channels and they're they're sort of done with it. So I think that's another, you know, I sort of like the idea that, again, some of it's semantics, but the idea that you're sort of, the newsletter becomes kind of the engine for your social as opposed I to the other love way. It. I mean, it's a, it's a framework for everything. And not to mention, I mean, the fact that you're publishing on your site, you're publishing on Medium, which I think some people have opinions about that one way or the other. I like Medium. I'm a paid subscriber. Um, so God, Josh, this is fantastic. I feel like I could talk to you all day. So what? Um, when is any tips or hints on when the course is coming out? Uh, the course is coming out, uh, <laughs> when I finish it, uh, hopefully, uh, cause I'm also building a new site and all that fun stuff. Um, hopefully it will be out within the next two months. I'd say a month, but um, I'll say I'll give myself two months. Um, it's gonna, uh, I'm really excited about it. Uh, it's specifically about how to grow your newsletter. Uh, it will help people who are just starting out, but it's really a little more geared towards people that have a newsletter. And one of the things that I've realized is, you know, both through helping clients and myself that, that really everybody with a newsletter wants it to quote unquote grow. Uh, and I define grow in a few different ways. I mean, there's obvious ways in terms of like more subscribers, but it also could mean 
better open rates, more engagement. It could mean more monetization if you're somebody who's monetizing it. It could be uh, growing the amount of opportunities that it draws to you. If you're in a sort of services business, it could be increased product sales. Like I think that, that there's that word grow can mean a lot of different things. Um, but it is really a sort of step by step of here's what I recommend you do. And, and I think I'm sure you read my newsletter and you've read my blog posts and, and, and even on this call, like I, I try as much as possible to be very specific and actionable as opposed to theoretical. Uh, so this is also very much that. So it's like, you know, the section about, there's a section about what to do on your signup page that really gets into the nitty gritty of like, here's how you should be describing stuff on the signup page and here's what you should have and, and all of that. So uh, I'm really excited about it and hopefully within Okay, two well, I'm excited less, because will I will be, be signing up uh, and sharing it. So where is the best place for people to Great. connect with you? Uh, well, if they're interested in newsletters, that Newsletter Creators Facebook group is great. Um, ForTheInterested.com is where they can subscribe to that newsletter, which is probably you know another great way to connect with me because that's kind of a hub for everything. Uh, they can go to joshspector.com if they want to see about clients and work I do and, and all of that. They're also welcome to email me, josh at joshspector.com to ask questions. I'm happy to answer them, to just tell me, to send them a reminder when the newsletter course comes out or, or anything else. I'm, uh, I'm pretty open and available. And, you know, I would say along those lines, one of the things that we didn't talk about with newsletters is... I am a huge believer in the importance of replying to everybody. Uh, it is amazing. And I know it sounds obvious. It is amazing how many people uh, are frustrated that their audience won't grow while simultaneously ignoring their existing audience. <laughs> yeah. It's like, don't worry about the, it's that love the one you're with. You got people who are here right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's, which again, seems obvious, but it is not to people. Um, and the reason I know it's not is because, you know, it's interesting. A lot of times, depending on what people are doing, I'll tell them that their uh, your confirmation email when someone first signs up to your newsletter or your autoresponder, uh, a lot of times it's a good idea to include a question to try to get them to reply. And, and depending what you're doing, like when I was doing the comedy uh, consulting, like I would, my autoresponder included the question basically, like, how can I help you? And people would respond. And it was really helpful for me because I would instantly know something about them. And, and I would reply back, and it is incredible how people are shocked when you reply back. Oh, yeah. And they go, no, nobody ever replies back to me. Because I'll get that if I do an email okay. and people respond, and then we start going back and forth, and they're like, oh, I didn't, oh, wow. You know, and you're just like, of course, I'm going to respond. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, goes, it goes a long way, and I think that's the other thing about email and newsletters in general. Like, it's, it's a two-way platform which seems obvious. And I think a lot of people forget yeah. that, which by the way, is another, in my opinion, big advantage about email and newsletters compared to social media, because while social media is a two-way platform, comments and those interactions are public and email is much yeah. more intimate. And you can build a much, you can first of all, get more honest, uh, more honest interactions and build stronger connections I feel like through email than social. No, I, I completely agree. Well, because social, everyone's looking at it, right? And so if somebody wants to respond and it's it's a one-to-one conversation as opposed to the rest of the world can see this and leave a comment and, and you know, give their two yeah. cents. 
Josh, this has been fantastic. I, you are just a gem and a wealth of knowledge, and I'm so happy that I stumbled upon you. Yeah, I, I am year. as well. And thanks for uh, thanks for asking me to do this. It's fun. Absolutely. All right, guys, you know the drill. Hang on. I'll, I'll have some links for you again. And then when the course does come out, I will make sure to add the link to the course in the post um, as well. So as always, thanks so much for listening. Do you see what I mean? Oh, my goodness. Man, I could have talked to Josh all day. He was just super generous with his time. We talked after the recording a little bit too about some ads and he was just great, great person. I'm super happy we connected. So a couple links, go to fortheinterested.com and that is his newsletter where you can follow and see what he's doing. You can also go to joshspector.com. But in the show notes, we have a few articles and the Facebook group. So we've got an article that is read this before you hire a social media expert, how I write my newsletter, five tactics I've used to get 25,000 newsletter subscribers. And of course, the newsletter creators Facebook group. So all those links are in the show notes. As always, guys, thanks so much for listening. I love you tons. If you've not left a review in iTunes, Spotify, Google, where else am I? I got to double check those, but it would be most appreciated. Have a fantastic day and I'll catch you next time.